We're looking at quite a difficult passage today. We're going to kind of grapple with something. If, you want to, if you're at the end of the row, you want to pass the reading down. And the way we're going to try and grapple with this passage is to look at it in kind of three different ways, with three different questions. Now, the, f- the last question we're going to get to is, what do you reflect? That's, that's the last question. Before that, we need to work out what does the Holy Spirit do? And then we're going to start with what is the purpose of a new covenant? I thought I'd have weeping. That's fine. <laughs> I'm only joking. So we're, going to, we're grappling with these three big questions and we're going to take different angles for it. Now, before we get to our reading, I just want to let you know where we are in the Bible. We're in 2 Corinthians Paul has kind of started these churches in Corinth and he's left them. And they're basically now rejecting Paul. Because Paul comes across as just a bit weak. He's not kind of amazing. And these super apostles have come into Corinth and they've got the wow factor. They've brought their electric guitars. They're cool. They're impressive. They're eloquent. And they're like, Paul, we prefer these guys. And he's basically saying to them, it's not about that. It's not about how good you look. It's not about how you can articulate things. It's about Christ and Christ alone. So that's kind of where he's going in the letter. And that's where we're going to be picking it off. Now, you'll notice when we get to our reading, this this idea of old and new covenant, which is quite a big kind of topic. And for many of us, we hear about this Old Testament and Old Covenant, and we're like, don't even bother with the new stuff. The old stuff is just weird. I don't want to hear about the new stuff if the old stuff is so odd. Well, the Corinthians, they, were, they felt exactly the same. They hadn't come to be Christians from Judaism. So they were grappling with this. And the reason Paul is taking them all the way back is we're meant to see God's overarching salvation plan through history. That Jesus was the pinnacle of everything that God had been doing. It's not just a random event. But he's also highlighting, for many of us, we make our own covenants, either with a kind of deity, maybe we'd use the word God, or we make a covenant in with ourselves. Think about it. We all have a kind of framework that if I act and work and be in a certain way, then everything will be okay. Many of us were baptized as babies. Some of us were. And the parents that baptized us, they had no reason. They had no understanding of why to baptize. It was just the thing to do. If we baptize our babies, things will be okay. If we work really hard and we matter in our work, then my life will matter. Eternity will take care of itself. But if I work hard, if I achieve success, everything will be okay. This is a big covenant. It's subconscious, but it's a, it's a covenant. If I find a spouse and have babies, my life will matter. It's, just kind of, it's not like outspoken. It's just a covenant that we've made in ourselves, a framework of how to live. So when we come to the reading, what we need to be doing is seeing God's overarching plan of salvation. But also, what have we replaced the old covenant with? What covenants are we living out in our life? What is the framework of how we live? Okay, so we're going to get to the passage now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 18. It'll come up on here, or you can have a look at it in front of you. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. 
Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has now no glory in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, where Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, so here we go. First, what is the purpose of a new covenant? Now, Paul, he's, he's referencing this kind of story in Exodus, Exodus 34. And God has taken this people by his grace. He's taken them out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. And he said, he's made a covenant with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. And I'm going to give you this law so you can live your life. You can set yourself apart from all the other tribes and all the other nations around you. Now, many of us have grown up in churches. And we've heard this phrase kind of Old Testament bad, New Testament good. Old covenant bad, New Testament good. But that's such an awful way of looking at it. Paul here says it was glorious, and it was glorious. Not just because God came in glory, but God actually spoke to his people. God who created the world, God who had saved them, God of all holiness and might was speaking. And this is how it would happen. Moses would meet with God on a mountain or in this special meeting tent. And it talks about how they talked face to face. That's how it's described in the Bible. And God's glory was there. And then Moses would be so radiant and shining that he would come out and people would be like, wow. And then he would tell the people everything that God had happened. It was glorious. I want you to imagine for a moment a way of like this. Every morning, every morning, you and I, every morning, we come here. We come here and we gather before work or before our children here. And we come to the special place, the special mediator. Because that's what Moses was. He was mediating between God and his people. And you and I gather every morning for the special mediator. Here at Holy Trinity Clapham, Jago. And Jago has been in the back over there and he's been spending the whole night with God. 
And we're all there waiting like with anticipation. He comes out and he's radiant and he's shining. And he said, I've just spent hours with God and this is what he says. It would be amazing. Whether you believe in God or not, if, it was like, if there is a God and he was speaking to someone and he was radiating, it'd be like, that would be pretty cool. And then you and I, we go about our business. It was glorious. But there were problems. Quite a few problems. One of them being that after Moses had said everything that God had said, he would put a veil over his face. Why? Look with me at verse 13. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. As it fades, he puts the veil over his face to hide the fact that it's fading. It fades. And because it fades, we realize that there are three things that the Old Covenant highlights for us. Three things. The first one is going to sound really harsh, but bear with me. Death. Now, that sounds really bad, but hear what I mean. It sounds strong, but Moses is just one man. He's trying to mediate between a whole nation and God, but he can only do it to a certain extent. He can't reconcile that divide. He can't fully mediate all those people entering into God's presence. Their uncleanliness, their sin, their folly, which was a lot, stops them from entering the presence of God, and it only brings death. Have a look with me at verse 6. Paul writes this. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, which was engraved in stone, the Ten Commandments, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death. Think about it like this. They're there. God has saved them from Egypt. God has given them the law to set themselves apart from everyone else. And yet I can't even enter his presence. I can't be fully reconciled with God, let alone reflect him. And you read throughout Exodus and all of Judges again and again, God's people show that they're not reconciled. And they realize that life in all of its fullness cannot be achieved because there's something in the way. There's something that doesn't quite work. And it brings death. Second, it condemns. Look with me at verse 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious... God's glorious gift in the law shows us the total dependency we have for God. And yet, it still condemns. Yes, we are God's people. Yes, we keep his law. But again and again and again, they show that it doesn't fully reconcile them to him. It doesn't transform their human mind. It doesn't deal with the problem of the human heart. It doesn't get them fully to God. Thirdly and finally, Moses has already shown us. It fades. 
He goes in, he has this incredible experience. He comes out and he tells all the people the amazing thing God has said, and then it fades. Three things. Death, condemnation, and it fades. And all of these things show the need, the purpose for a greater and more glorious covenant. The purpose of the new covenant is to address these very things that have been brought to light in the old covenant. And Paul does all the work for us. Have a look at me. Verse 6. He has made us not competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Verse 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? And verse 11. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Death, life, condemnation, righteousness, fading, everlasting, old covenant, new covenant. And the old covenant, it just highlights the need for the new covenant. In the same way, whatever we put our trust in, in our own covenant, is surpassed by the new covenant. If everything you're living for is work, one day work will end. That's just a fact of life. And for many of us, we're just never going to be good enough to totally and ever equivalently change the world, which is sometimes what we want to do with work. In fact, it's hard and it's a struggle. And then at the end of it, we just know it fades. So what do we put, what is the old covenant that we've made when we compare it to this new covenant? And that's what he's highlighting in the new covenant. Our need for this, our need for life, righteousness, everlasting. And God says, here it is. So in this, second question. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Why is the Holy Spirit in this passage? Paul makes this startling argument in verse 12. Have a look with me. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. There. Therefore, in light of the new covenant... We, Christians, we have a hope and we are bold. And then he makes two comparisons. Two comparisons about not being like that. Moses, who has a veil over his face, representing that this covenant won't last forever. But he also goes on to say, have a look with me, verse 15. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. There's a physical veil of the face which shows that it fades. But there's a, there's, a, there's a veil of the heart, a hardening of the heart. And many, I used to have that veil. Have you ever thought about this? I don't need saving. That's what it means. I don't need Jesus. I don't need Christianity. I don't need the church. That's basically what it means. And it's a veil over our hearts. So we come back to verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We have a hope in God. We have a hope for life. We have a hope for life, righteousness, everlasting. And we're bold. We can approach God. And we're not like Moses because it doesn't fade. And we're not like we have a veil over our hearts that's been removed. So how do we get that? 
If there is this God, we want to approach him with boldness. How do we do that? Verse 16. But when any, anywhere, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Turns to the Lord. It's the, it's the same phrase that talks about how Moses turned to the Lord on the mountain and in the meeting tent. And now, rather than turning on this mountain or in this meeting tent, we just turn to Christ from our old way to our new way. We see the need for this new covenant. We see the ineptitudes and the inadequacies of the covenants that we make with ourselves. And then we turn to Christ. We turn to him with joy and repentance because the Savior has come. You see, we're no longer judged by the way we've done things. We're no longer judged by the things that we've done wrong. We're judged as Christ. We're judged in Christ's righteousness. And now we can have life and life to the full and we can have a hope for eternal life. But more than that, this is not just a kind of experiential that makes me feel nice and then it's going to fade. This is everlasting. That's what the new covenant is all about about. And that's what it means when we talk about turning to Christ in the new covenant. We throw off the old and we come into the new. Let's compare very quickly Moses's work and Christ's work. With Moses, he mediated in part. Many of us, our covenants that we're trying to do are mediating in part. If I give enough to charity, I'm going to make myself right with God. If I go to church at Christmas and Easter, I'm going to make myself right with God. If basically, if I'm a good person, I'm going to make myself right with God. And there's just, you know, there's no sure footing. There's just a kind of, this is the way life is. Christ. What did Christ do? Christ fully and profoundly and unequivocally mediated total reconciliation in absolute perfection forever. Forever. There's no extra work that needs to happen. There's no kind of halfway house. Total reconciliation. What is the Holy Spirit doing in all of this? Verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The same God who Moses met with is the Holy Spirit. They are one. But, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, they're the same but different. There is freedom. And this is not freedom so you and I can do anything that we want to do. That's not what freedom is. Paul is presupposing the inherent human condition is not free. And what he's saying here is we're free from the old covenant. We're free from our own covenant, but we find our freedom in Christ, freedom to live for Christ. We're free from death and condemnation and fading to life, righteousness for everlasting. The Spirit does that. The Spirit has opened our minds and our hearts to who Christ is and the need for him. He turns us to Christ. He removes the veil that says, I don't need him. That's what he does. 
Now, the difficulty here is that I'm one of these people that can wave my hands around and I can make things sound nice. Yeah? I can, I, you know, you can just, it's similar to the royal wedding. He could have said anything and everyone would be like, that was amazing. The idea of moving from death and condemnation, which fades to life, righteousness for everlasting. And some of us have never thought about it in that way. We've never thought of the need for Jesus. We've never thought that Christ is the one who will take away the sins of the world. We just never thought in that way. And right now, there might be some of us that are going, that sounds interesting. And the worst thing you can do is, that sounds interesting because he's waving his hands around and he's telling stories. Because it's very easy, isn't it, to come and it's almost like we've come into a restaurant. And for the very first time, it's almost like you've been shown a menu. What is this? What does it mean? How does this work? What do you mean about all these different things and covenants and new covenants? And it's almost like I could become your waiter and I'm showing you these things. Look, I don't, I'm not even the guy that's checked in your coat or hold the door open for you. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He picked you up in a taxi maybe many years ago and he's been driving you to this moment. And he's opened the door and he's checked in your coat and he's showing you who Christ is. Because if it's not the Holy Spirit that's doing it, it won't last. If it's just me doing it, it's not going to mean anything. I'm the guy in the kitchen that made the decision to follow Jesus. I'm just washing the pots and the pans. That's what it really means to be a Christian. I've chosen to follow Jesus. I'm just going to wash pans. I'm going to tell people about a really cool Jesus that I know. And so for some of us, we're almost like I can see the need. that Something is happening right now inside of me. I can see the need for Jesus. I don't have all the answers, but I can see how he fits into the world. That's why we have baptisms. We're not celebrating the people. We're celebrating what Jesus has done. That Jesus has taken us from this old way to this new way. That's why we have the full immersion. That you're standing up and you're saying, yes, I know I need Jesus. And you're going in and then you're coming back out as a new person. There's nothing special about the water. There's nothing special about our paddling pool. It's what Jesus has done. And that's all we're celebrating. But for many of us, we already have made the decision to follow Jesus. So what's the Holy Spirit doing in us? What do we get? Well, like with Moses, it fades, but we've been talking about everlasting. For some of us at Christians, we might have been on these summer camps and it's all felt really good, or we went to a university church where it felt really great and, you know, it's just, you know, cool. And, and, and now we're kind of in the real world and it's like my best days as a Christian are behind me. I remember when I used to be really excited about Jesus and Christianity, and now I just come on a Sunday and it's just a drab, and they've got this guy who just chats, shouts at us for half an hour. It's such a bore. You know, you know but come on, let's be honest. The best days of my life. Have you ever thought, as a Christian, the best days are behind me? Have a look with me, just really quickly, at verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, it's, it's a complex verse, and I just want to come at it from the, the, the other way around. So just really quickly, just have a look with me. The Holy Spirit, who is the Lord, who is God, gives us ever-increasing glory by transforming us into Christ's likeness so that we might reflect him because with unveiled faces we have seen him. We've seen him. We've seen our saviour and our redeemer, our might. We've seen him. We've seen what he went through on the cross that made possible, who ensures our eternal salvation. Now, I'm just going to be honest, because we might as well all be honest while we're here. If you, don't, if you don't want to be more like Christ, then you don't know Christ. If you haven't seen the perfect self-sacrificing nature of Christ, if you haven't seen his love for the world, if you haven't seen his compassion, if you haven't seen the way he loves the poor and the forgotten, if you haven't seen that and you don't want to be transformed into that, well then you haven't seen him. Why would you, the thing is, the problem is for many Christians, and this is the thing, many Christians, many people look in looking at Christians and they go, they're just they don't look like Christ. If we looked more like Christ, if we were more loving, if we were more compassionate, if we were profoundly being transformed, then I think more people will go, that might be worth talking about. Why would we not want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ? So my final question, which I, I'm so sorry, I promised I would get to, is who do we reflect? Or what do we reflect? I know you can all see yourself. What do we reflect? What do we reflect? Because it'd be easy for me to say who. Who do we reflect? But I think all of us were reflecting something. And here in this passage, it's saying we can reflect Christ by the Holy Spirit who wants to transform us more into his glory. So I'm going I'm to pray in a minute. I'm going to leave... Um, some space for us to think. Firstly, for some of us, we might go, that was interesting. I hope that you ask questions. For some of us, we might go, hold on a minute, that, that makes sense. I know I'm not a Christian and I can see the need for Christ. That's the Holy Spirit kind of unveiling him to you. And all he asks is that you turn to him. But then for others of us, we want to reflect more. And I'm going to invite us, some of us, to stand as a kind of physical representation of what we want to happen. We want to reflect Christ more. Now, look at me. Do not stand because you think it's nice. That's just the exact same problem we started at the beginning. If I stand, that's right. I'm good with God. Don't stand to make yourself look holier than you really are. It's not a problem to stay seated. That's just legalism. But if you want to, if you go, yes, I, I see the need. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be transformed. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to transform me more into the likeness of Christ. Then I'm going to invite you to stand. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray. 
Um, and then I'm going to ask anyone that wants to, with everyone eyes closed, if you want to say, yes, I want to turn to the Lord, so put your hand up, I'll see it, God will see it, and that's that. And then I'm going to invite anyone that wants to, to stand and say, yes, I want to become more like Christ. So I'm just going to pray and then leave a moment of silence. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and gather together. And I pray that only your word, your word of grace, truth and compassion, and holiness and love would resonate with each and every one of us. And so if that's, if that's you, if you, if you want to say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to turn to Christ, then you just put your hand up. Brilliant, thank you. I'm going to say a prayer line by line. And if you want to repeat in your heart, then you do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son. I turn to him. I see the need for Christ. I turn from my covenant to your covenant. I pray that you would transform me more into the likeness of Christ. Amen. Now, if you want to stand, you want to make a kind of physical declaration of what's going on in your heart, then um, this is the moment for whoever wants to do that, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. So if that's you, please do stand. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have unveiled our faces, our hearts and minds to see Christ. And I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to reflect Christ in our homes, in our communities, in our city. that we would be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And Father, forgive us. Forgive us as a church. We have lived a life of self-righteousness, apathy. I ask that you would be blowing in our midst to transform us. You would take away the dead religious 
nature in our hearts. Transform us more into the likeness of our Savior. Amen.